back to Gentle Man, redefining manhood in the 21st century. My name is Arjuna, I'm your host. Today I'm talking about homophobia and how it affects men. Now, homophobia is a broad topic which affects culture at large, but what I want to focus on today is specifically the effect of homophobia on straight men. Homophobia has clearly been extremely harmful and damaging to gay and queer men, which is an aspect of this conversation that I don't want to minimize. I definitely want to acknowledge it. However, I feel that straight and cisgendered men specifically have a lot to learn about homophobia and how it affects them. I think it is easy to forget or overlook the extent to which homophobia restricts and damages the quality of life of cis and straight men. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on today. So the first thing I want to do is to guide you in a visualization exercise, which I think will help to start to illustrate what I mean. So if you're able to now, close your eyes. And if you're not able to do that, just take some deep breaths, center yourself. And I want you to imagine men holding hands. And I want for you to imagine men kissing each other on the cheek or on the lips. Imagine men running their fingers through other men's hair. Imagine men lying next to each other on a blanket in the park. Imagine men sharing a bed together. Imagine men calling each other beautiful. Imagine men snuggled up together on the couch, watching TV and laughing. And that's enough for this exercise for now. What I want for you to do now is just look at how that felt. What came up for you when you were visualizing that? Did it feel uncomfortable? Did it feel erotic? Perhaps homoerotic? Did it feel normal or did it feel very out of the ordinary to imagine those images? What I'm getting at here is what is your visceral reaction to thinking about that, imagining that, or what it would feel like to be around men behaving in that way? This can start to give you some clues as to your internal landscape, your internal dialogue around homophobia. So what you'll find is if you substitute these images Let's say instead of having men doing these things, you have women doing these things, or young children doing these things. How does that change the context? How does that change how you feel about them? What I imagine that you'll notice if you're a straight man is that it feels more comfortable imagining women doing these things than imagining men doing these things. And these images are probably more normalized in your life. So for example... Imagining two grown women sharing a bed together. Maybe they're going on a trip or they're camping for the weekend or something like that. And you might think nothing of it to have two grown women share a bed. It doesn't necessarily have to have any homoerotic overtone. But when you imagine two men doing the same thing, it's higher stakes. It's more likely to evoke a homoerotic image. And straight men are less likely to feel comfortable doing that. Likewise, to imagine perhaps two women sitting on a couch braiding each other's hair, being very intimate, hugging, snuggling, maybe watching a movie together, laughing. That's fairly normal. It's fairly normal with women and their friends, especially if they're good friends, especially if they're generally affectionate women. 
it's normal to imagine women doing that kind of stuff and to not necessarily think that it has any kind of gay or queer subtext to it. For men, that's not the case. Very, very rarely do you ever see that. Very rarely would you see a man come up to his son and give his son a kiss on the lips. Never mind a man giving his grown son a kiss on the lips. In this day and age, that's very unlikely. However, there are places in the world where that is not so unlikely, and there have been times in history for white European men that was not an uncommon thing to have happened. So what I want to highlight is that we are a particular point in history where there are certain sections of men across the globe who are not allowed to express themselves as intimately and as affectionately with other men as they could, as well as not as intimately or affectionately as they would have been able to in the past. Now, I want to give an example of even a contemporary difference in culture that describes how men behave. I went to India a number of years ago, and I stayed there for almost a month. And I was walking around this village in India where I was staying, and I was struck, I was absolutely struck by the amount of affection that I saw men sharing for each other. I saw men walking hand in hand and arm in arm, or walking with their arms around each other's shoulders. I saw men hugging each other and looking quite intimately into each other's eyes. I saw men lounging together, lying down on a blanket and just lounging. In the West, we'd basically call that snuggling. I saw many men riding on the back of motorcycles that other men were driving, hands around their waists. It was a very, very normal thing to see. And there was just this general atmosphere and attitude of men being very relaxed with each other and being very relaxed with each other's bodies. And it's hard to say what any particular man was experiencing, but in general, I was not getting this strong homoerotic vibe from these men. It was clear to me that in the Indian culture, certainly in the part of Kerala that I was staying in anyway, it was extremely normal for men to touch each other and be in each other's physical space. They were very relaxed, and it generally seemed to be a very happy expression of their manhoods. And there are several things that came up for me observing this. One of them was just noticing how relaxed it made me feel in my body around other men. It made me reflect upon how in the West... I have these programs around personal space with men. I have programs around getting too close to men or being very careful around how I touch men if I touch them at all. And having this kind of running internal dialogue about how other men might feel towards me or how I might feel about other men if we were to get closer. Even simple things like, let's say I sit down on a couch and I'm next to another man, and our legs touch, the outer sides of our thighs touch. That's something which, in modern Western culture, is kind of a big deal for men. Men notice that. They'll generally tend to avoid doing stuff like that if they can. And if they can't avoid it, let's say you're on an airplane, and you're in close proximity with another man or other men, and you can't really do much about it, that's often a very uncomfortable experience for men. Men will often shrink inward in that environment to try to avoid making or sustaining that kind of contact. So I noticed myself relaxing unconsciously around that as it concerned other men while I was in India, which I loved. It was so freeing. Another thing I noticed was myself feeling some envy. I remember thinking to myself, 
I wish that I could be this way with my male friends, with the men in my life. I wish I could have this kind of affection with my brother or my father or my good man friends. It was really striking to me. It was a striking difference and one that stayed with me even beyond my return home from that trip. This is just one example. There are many other cultures in the world currently in the present day where it's a lot more normal for men to be physically affectionate with each other. And what this comparison serves to highlight is that a lot of the homophobia that is experienced in modern Western culture, for example, has particular origins. It has origins in Christian culture. It has origins in Islamic culture. A study of Greco-Roman cultures reveals that the further back you go, the greater tolerance there tends to be of homosexuality, especially as it relates to men. There are tales, for example, of Greek warriors or Spartan warriors having very intimate relationships with each other. And male-on-male sexuality was quite common in the armies back in the day. Uh, and it's not hard to see why if you're around a big group of men and you're traveling and you're away from home, sleeping with men is your only other option, really. And so in addition to men just generally being more comfortable around each other, regardless of sexual relationships, it was also just a lot more common for men to have sexual relationships. What you started to see happen, though, in Greek and especially in Roman culture as time went on, is that these kind of relationships became more and more constricted. And there are a number of reasons for that, but part of it was with the advent of more authoritarian rule. So you'll see this a lot throughout history, is that when people want to impose control over populations, or when people want to guarantee a more fanatical devotion to leadership and government, people will start to impose rules on people's bodies, basically, on their close personal lives. And so it became more common for statespeople, statesmen, to issue restrictions on things like who people could have sex with and when. Now, we can see these kind of restrictions being extrapolated in the contemporary era. For example, a very topical reemergence in the United States of a conversation around controlling women's bodies and controlling women's reproductive rights. So this is just another example of how authoritarianism starts to show up in a culture and how it starts to manifest. So it's possible that a number of restrictions on homosexuality that started to be placed in Rome, for example, back in the day, were perhaps less motivated by a deep moral sense that homosexuality was wrong and more motivated from a place of trying to control people's bodies and to control people's pleasure uh, and finding that as an easy way to do so. It's a little bit harder to restrict men having heterosexual relationships with women, uh, because obviously having children is an important part of growing an empire. So if you want to restrict those kind of sexual relations, it's a little bit more granular and a little bit more difficult to do so. Now, uh, the Christian religious cultures have found ways to do that over time. You'll generally find that straight sexual relationships have to one degree or another been tolerated by and large by people throughout history. So Roman notions of morality, especially as they relate to sexual and intimate relations, became a lot of the basis of laws that were applied in medieval Europe, which in turn became the foundation for the laws that are applied today in Europe, in the United States, and other European imperial colonies around the world. 
A lot of these nations being Christian nations also means that there were additional layers of restriction applied from a religious standpoint. So what we see over the last 3,000 years or so, roughly, happening in European cultures is a general movement towards homophobia and away from, first of all, homoeroticism, and then more subtly, a movement away from male intimacy in any fashion. The culture that we're left with in the United States and in the UK and a number of other white European countries is a culture of men feeling very uncomfortable in their bodies and a culture of men feeling threatened around other men and a culture of men being very disconnected from their pleasure. So there's a lot going on here and it has many implications, but one of the things that I want to highlight is the subtler ways in which broader cultural values affect people's relationships with their bodies and affect people's relationships interpersonally. So something as broad as a ban on homosexual relations can result in very small things like people not even feeling comfortable hugging each other, or people not feeling comfortable saying nice things to each other, or people not feeling comfortable being affectionate towards each other in any way, because they're worried that they're going to start edging up on their social restrictions. They're worried that people will start to construe that they're moving in a taboo direction, in a direction that's not allowed in that culture. And so rather than risk that, people will tend towards withdrawing and will tend towards, people will tend away from some of their natural tendencies. Now, cultural norms across the world vary in every sense, in every time. So I'm certainly not attempting to make a proclamation around what is morally correct for any group of people in any time. But one thing I will say is that as humans, we have a great capacity for pleasure and we have a great capacity for affection and we have a great capacity for social independence. And these are qualities that really stand out in humanity. As humans, we are able to be more at choice with our sexual relationships than most other animals are. A lot of animals have short mating seasons during which they're able to procreate and engage in sex acts. And humans do not have those restrictions. Humans are also incredibly social creatures, and so we're really wired to spend a lot of time around each other in community. And what that results in is a lot of grooming, physical grooming, social grooming, a lot of sharing space, a lot of sharing bodies happening. So this has tended to be a really healthy expression of humanity, and it has actually been vital to our survival as a species. So a simple way to say it is that being close to each other and being intimate with each other is deeply human. It's deeply embedded in our psyches and we actually need it. The tragic truth is that if babies don't get enough physical affection and enough attention, they die. Babies can receive all of the sustenance, the food and nourishment that they need, but if they don't receive the physical intimacy that they need, they'll die. Similarly, there have been any number of studies that have shown in more recent times that the more isolated people are, the more time they spend away from other people, and the less social interaction they have and the less physical interaction they have with other people, the worse their health is, both physical health and mental and emotional health. So all signs point towards contact with other people and especially affectionate, loving contact with other people being very, very important for the well-being of people. 
So now let's bring this back in and refocus on how this affects men and straight men in particular. On the base level, it results in men feeling less safe moment to moment. And this has deep implications for people's relationships and even just their nervous systems. So when you have men worried about intimate contact with other men, you start to have men not being able to relax around each other. You start to have men being very careful around each other. And this creates an activation in the nervous system. This means that instead of men being able to relax and have fun with each other, they're more likely to feel defensive and distant from each other. And even if this plays out in ways that are perhaps subtle or not particularly visible, or even ways that aren't particularly forward in the mind, but more happening on an unconscious level, what it means is that men have less space to relax, and men have less space to express themselves, and men have less space to have deep relationships, and men experience less of their time feeling safe around other men. And so during times when men historically might have been able to have very rejuvenating social interactions with other men, where they didn't feel as many boundaries and where they were felt a lot more free to be themselves, and especially a lot more free to be in joy and a lot more free to be in pleasure, now you have men worried being around each other. And there's a very real threat of violence as well. Every man in a homophobic culture knows that the repercussions for crossing another man's intimacy boundaries might be anything up to and including death, right? You'll hear men say stuff like this all the time, you know, like, oh man, if another man comes up and does XYZ to me, if a man did that to me, I'd sock him in the jaw, or I'd kick his ass, or even straight up, yeah, I'd kill him. So you even hear men saying stuff like this. It's not even in the background, it's, it's in the foreground. Whoever you are, if you live in white Western culture, you've almost certainly heard a man say stuff like this at some point. So there are very real consequences for crossing the line with this stuff. And men live in fear of it. This does several things to men, even straight men. So one of the things it does is it forces men to find more intimacy with women. And in a lot of cases, it creates an unhealthy amount of pressure on women to provide the intimacy for straight men. And this is among the many reasons why relationships are strained between men and women, because men are seeking an unhealthy amount or a concentrated amount of physical and emotional intimacy from women because they're not getting it anywhere else in their lives. And so especially if you are a straight and monogamous man, then you might be expecting your female partner to provide up to 100% of the physical and emotional intimacy that you're going to get in your life. So just think about that for a moment. Imagine that there was only one person in the entire world who you expected to cover pretty much all of your needs. Your need for intimacy, your need for connection, your need for vulnerability, your need to express yourself. And of course, many people in domestic relationships are also expecting their women partners to cover other basic needs like feeding them or cleaning up after them. So it's easy to understand, given this context, how strained these relationships can be. And it's easy to understand how women end up feeling overwhelmed and pressured to provide everything for their partners. And it's completely unsustainable, which is one of the reasons why we see so many unsuccessful relationships, so many strained relationships, so many unhappy relationships. Other issues we start to see come up are men feeling really alienated from their own bodies. So when men are 
encouraged not to behave intimately or behave vulnerably, except in very narrow circumstances, like with one woman in their life, then we start to see men experiencing incredible amounts of alienation on a day-to-day -day basis. Men don't feel comfortable in their own bodies. A lot of the hatred of homophobia becomes internalized. And so men may even feel guilty just doing things like looking at themselves in the mirror. A man might feel guilty for touching his own body or bringing himself pleasure in any number of ways. And again, you can see this show up even in heterosexual interactions. So you'll see men avoiding some of their erogenous zones because they're getting into gay territory. And in this way, men are restricting the amounts and types of pleasure that they're able to experience for no real logical or good reason. There are many actions and acts that are considered gay, which even outside of the judgmental lens of homophobia have absolutely nothing to do with homoeroticism. So we see men feeling alienated and men feeling disconnected from their own bodies, and men feeling disconnected from pleasure. And when you combine enough of this over enough time, it'll often manifest in violence. Men's repressed need for pleasure will come up in the form of demanding pleasure from women, for example. So we see this a lot in the incel movement, which if you're not familiar with that term, it's short for involuntarily celibate. I suggest you look it up if you haven't heard of it before. It's a very real and growing segment of the male population that feels isolated and disconnected to such a large degree that they have organized and clustered around some very toxic ideologies. Ideologies such as the belief that women owe men intimacy or sexuality, that women should belong to men, that women should be subservient to men, that men are entitled to that, and that men are entitled to direct violence towards women as a result of believing that. And so it's not hard to connect the dots between feeling that way and then committing violent sex acts or even committing broader violent acts such as school shootings or assault or even acts of violence towards other men. When you remove any animal, not just a human, but if you remove any animal from the healthy range of behaviors that they usually expect to have, then you start to see more erratic behavior, more unpredictable behavior, and sometimes more violent behavior. So the argument I'm making here is that homophobia creates a deep and harmful deviation from human norms and really animal norms that have been in place for tens of thousands of years, maybe even over a hundred thousand years of our species. So we're living in a moment in which men are particularly pressured into isolation and weaponization. And when men are feeling this way, they're less likely to be good and safe partners. They're less likely to be loving and attentive parents. They're less likely to be compassionate leaders. They're less likely to be constructive members of society. The effects of homophobia reach so deeply. The intersection of homophobia and misogyny is so clear. The intersection of homophobia and racism and other kinds of hate is so clear. The implications of homophobia stretched all the way up to and including the destruction of the environment and our planet and natural resources. So these issues often have common sources and common manifestations and interdependent causes and sympathetic causes. So at this point... I'd like to encourage anyone listening to this, whether man or woman 
or gender fluid or non-binary, I encourage anyone listening to this to take some time and think about how you may have internalized homophobia. All of us have it to some extent. The question is to what degree and how does it manifest in our lives? Take a moment to think about times when it has come up in your life, when you've had interactions in which you remember homophobia coloring or changing the interaction. Think about times that homophobia has affected people you know, or even national figures or famous people that you know and follow, and what the fallout from that has been. The world that I want to live in is a world in which every person feels comfortable in their body, a world in which every person is able to find intimacy in their lives, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, social intimacy, a world in which people feel belonging, a world in which people feel beautiful in their bodies, a world in which people are able to express their love for each other and their affection for each other without fear of judgment, a world in which people don't need to hold up so many boundaries for fear of losing their safety or even their lives. A world in which people can relax into their birthright, which is being loved and cared for by their communities, and in turn growing up into loving and affectionate and wise people who can pass that value and that joy on to the next generations. This is very close. It's within reach. Even in the lifetime of one person, radical change can happen towards more love and intimacy. This is some of the deepest work that we can do because it connects with some of our most vulnerable selves. It connects with some of the deepest trust. Trusting another person to see us and understand us in some of our more vulnerable and raw states. Trusting that we'll be received in what we want and in some of our deepest wants. Trusting that we will be loved when we show up asking for love. Trusting that we ourselves can love without judgment when other people ask us for our love. And healing that happens on this level has a profound impact on our lives and it radiates out into our relationships. Those relationships radiate out into the culture and the culture in turn radiates out to our actions on the planet as humanity. So this is vital work. This is life-saving, world-changing work. Thank you for joining me again. It is my honor and my pleasure to bring you this podcast and I really appreciate your listening. I hope you'll join me next week for more conversations about manhood, humanity, and living in respect and kindness. Bye-bye.